0: Welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. Today is Tuesday, uh, January uh, 24th, 2023. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church. We are located in Evansville, Indiana. This is edition number 12 of season 8, continuing now through the Westminster Confession of Faith. We are in chapter 2. Today we begin looking at paragraph 2. But let's pray first and then we'll Take up these matters together father as we look at these things now given to us um, and summarized by us uh, uh, summarized here in this historic document that helps us learn and understand more of your word faithful expressions of what your word says we pray that you would be gracious to us and help us that you would show forth your kindness uh, to undeserving sinners and that you would teach us by your spirit forgive us for our sins Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, paragraph two now continues um, in its discussion and its description of what the Bible teaches on, on the, the, on, uh, related to the, uh, to the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're in chapter two of God and of the Holy Trinity. Paragraph two, it reads, God hath all life, glory, goodness, Blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all-sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things." and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleaseth. Now, we're going to stop there today. We'll finish this paragraph in the, in the um, Wednesday edition. But let's just consider just briefly some of these statements here that are made. God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself. God hath all life in himself. That is to say he is self-existent. That is to say that there was never a beginning with God. He is life itself and therefore then he gives life uh, to all, to all of his creatures. We note that in the creation week from Genesis chapter 1, but in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. So all life is in him. We also note here that all God hath all glory. God hath all glory. That is to say that all things will bring glory to God, even evil and calamity in this world, all of the failures and foibles of man, all of it is designed to bring him glory uh, as he sees fit to do that. We note this uh, in Acts chapter 7 as Stephen is giving this speech before the high priest. And he says there in verse 2, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. The God of glory, all glory will be brought to him. Now we, of course, live our lives. Shorter catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But we do not add to God's glory. God is all-glorious. And he will indeed be praised and worshipped, even if the rocks have to do it. God is the he, our God is the all glorious God who is also good. Psalm 119. God who is good, he does all things well. Never errs. He never makes a mistake. Even in those times when life is difficult, God remains good. We like to say that I think when. Joyable things happen to us in life when uh, certain blessings come to us. We like to say God is good. But do we often say that, do we ever say that, when uh, things aren't so, as it were, from from a temporal point of view, very good? Well, God is always good. He is good all the time. Whether your house burns to the ground or not, God remains good. You are good, Psalm 119, verse 68, you are good and do good. God can do no other. But remember, this goodness is rooted in his character. That which he describes as good, that which he defines as good, not the way we define it, but the way he defines it, and we find that in his word. And so he's not, well, he's not only a God who has all life, glory, goodness, but also blessedness. In the Apostle Paul, and writing to his young pastor there in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, There we read, which he will display at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now this is being applied to the Lord Jesus Christ here, which is a strengthening of the argument that Jesus is indeed deity, God, he is divine. But note, he is the blessed and only sovereign. And then we have, in and of himself, and is alone in unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures, which he hath made. This is very simple to explain. It simply means that God has no need of you, and He has no need of me. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor or an elder in the church. It doesn't matter if you're a church member. It doesn't matter if you work at McDonald's or some steakhouse. It doesn't matter what you do and how you do it. God has no need of anything. God does not need me to preach the gospel. God does not need me to shepherd his people. He will accomplish his purposes without me. He has no need of anything I do. He's pleased to use us, and we should be very thankful that He would use us to build His kingdom, and He does. But at the end of the day, God has no need of any uh, creature. Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands, as though He needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Just exactly what would the God of heaven need, who has made all things, created all things for his purpose, for his glory? Well, the answer, of course, is obvious, isn't it? He doesn't need anything. It ought to humble us. Sometimes, I think, in the church, sometimes we, especially ministers, but I think others, just pastors. I'm picking just on pastors, though it's easy to do because I'm one of them, but the fact remains is that I, th- I think sometimes we get a little bit too uh, big-headed about our importance in the life of the church. Um, and we think somehow that if we're not there in our local church, it'll just crumble. Uh, if we stop giving financially to help the work of the ministry there, it'll just stop. Well, none of those things even matter. Because God doesn't need your money, and he doesn't need you to come to church and sit in the pew. He doesn't need me to stand in the pulpit either. His kingdom isn't going to end just because you stop writing checks. And so we need to be very careful that we don't, we don't put too much credit in what we do around the church. Now, with that said, God wants you to serve. He wants you to labor. He wants you to work diligently within the life of the church to contribute to the needs of the saints just remember, at the end of the day, he doesn't need you. And you see, it's at that point, I think, in the life of a church, especially when the Lord will really begins to bless, when the congregation lays hold of the reality that it's, it's all about him. It's not about us. And we don't need to run around worrying and thinking that we're somehow indispensable in God's kingdom. There is only one indispensable person in the kingdom of God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not Him. And so we trust Him, we rely upon Him to do the things that we do, and we do that out of joy because we get to serve Him in doing it. But let's, re- let's not get too far, too ahead of ourselves, thinking that we are all that important. And the fact remains, God does not need any creature He has made to do anything, nor does He derive any glory from them. That is to say, he is all-glorious. He doesn't, whether I worship him or not, as I've already said, God is all-glorious regardless. But manifesting his, his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. And so we reflect his glory as a mirror. We reflect that glory, the one who is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleases. The Apostle Paul came to that clear understanding at the end of his very lengthy treatise from Romans 1 through 11. He gets to the end of the chapter, and chapter 11, before he turns the page, as it were, turns the corner and begins to apply these truths and There at the end of chapter 11, verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That ought to be the attitude of every Christian. Come what may, whatever happens, whether good, bad, whatever it is, to him be the glory, great things he has done to him this rights. That ought to be our attitude as Christians. We recognize that it is to him that deserve that, that we give all praise and adoration. He is the true sovereign. He is the glorious God of heaven. He is the one who is majestic and beautiful. It is to him then therefore that we like Paul say, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever. Well, I trust these times are helpful for you and if you have any comments or questions further follow-up remarks, whatever the case may be, you can reach out to me. The way to contact me is there before you on the screen. And so until the Wednesday edition, when we continue in paragraph two of chapter two, may the Lord help you to walk in his ways, walk humbly, walk in meekness, live kindly before others. May he help you to serve him. God bless.